everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter, looking at Revelation chapter 18 today. Uh, had a lot of fun uh, with our guest, Pastor John Lekunski, yesterday looking at Revelation uh, chapter 17. Uh, you know, we had a, we had a couple uh, good questions from some callers who called in live. I always encourage you guys to take advantage of that opportunity if you are listening live. Though if you're not, um, you know, can still leave some comments, I think, and we can still try to get around to some of your questions um, as they come up in future chapters. But yeah, so that was great. Pastor John Lekumski, host of Wrestling with the Basics, we had on yesterday. And today we've got Pastor Peter Bender, pastor at Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, looking at this chapter with us. Good morning, brother. Good to have you with us again. How's it going? Good morning. It's good to be with you, and it's it's going well. We have a lot of services going on to uh, accommodate the times in which we're living, but things are going well. Very good. I, I've heard of a number of churches taking that approach of just trying to, you know, uh, I mean, you know, be, be faithful to uh, the left-hand kingdom authorities that God's established and just uh, as a way of still having uh, word and sacrament ministry in person is just kind of using smaller services, um, maybe even several times in, in one day. Uh, I wouldn't mind if uh, we eased up on the restrictions in California and we could at least gather in like tiny groups, like microservices like that, but still waiting on that. Sure. Well, I think it's important to do. I mean, we uh, during Holy Week, we had uh, 33 uh, separate services. We're right now um, down to about 15 uh, mm-hmm. a week, and the Lord's Supper is offered at every one of them. And uh, on the one hand, we are uh, absolutely honoring and respecting those who are high-risk uh, mm-hmm. individuals, um, and they're sheltering in place and they're staying at home. On the other hand, we have a responsibility and obligation to, uh, to give the one thing needful to the church and uh, to bear witness to Christ and his victory over sin, death, and the devil, and his death and resurrection uh, before the world. And so we, uh, it's a good way to teach. It's a teachable moment, you know, for, uh, families that, uh, their children see that the church yep. goes on. And, uh, you know, if you or I were serving as chaplains, uh, in, a in a military context, uh, in the time of war, uh, we wouldn't have an option mm-hmm. whether or not we serve the troops in harm's way. That's our responsibility right. and that's our calling to do. Um, but, uh, so that's kind Absolutely. of how we look at it. We're trying to uh, love the neighbor and be sensitive to, yep. as you said, the uh, left-hand kingdom's uh, authority and wanting to protect the citizens, while at the mm-hmm. same time uh, uh, offering Christ to the world as the one thing needful. That that's that's uh, exactly it. We're we're not uh, real. I mean, you can do you can do both, um, and it, it's difficult, perhaps, um, but it's it's not a task that's not one that's uh, it's not one that we're, you know, dragging our feet to do. We're privileged to do it. As you said, it's one that we, that we have to do the one thing needful. Amen. So God bless your, your ministry and your witness, as you're saying, um, yeah, and, it may and, be a blessing and, to all who see it and take part in it. We took the initiative to, uh, engage the, uh, local sheriff department, uh, understanding what the, uh, what the requirements were and telling them we're, we're going to continue to have services, but we will, do our utmost to abide by the uh, 
the, the smaller numbers and uh, the social distancing and so forth. And, and they were totally supportive. And I, and I would encourage uh, uh, other pastors and churches to, to do that, to not be afraid to engage the uh, civil authorities. And right. so we, we know that there have been uh, some in the community that uh, made inquiry, uh, not members, you know, you're having services, and then even right. even, call, even called the police. But, uh, oh, yes, sure. they are, but they've checked with us, and, and things are yeah. fine. So, Well, that's, and that, and that's great that, that you did have that um, cooperation and even you know, partnership with the local authorities. Um, here's a little bit of a transition segue I can make here. In Revelation 18, there seems to be a situation where they did not have such cooperation with the local authorities. We've been talking about that for a few chapters, how it seems like the local authorities were not so friendly. And in fact, um, the church was enduring persecution, both in the time that's described um, in the visions of John and also in the time that was lived out in the seven churches of Asia Minor receiving this from John. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you say as we turn to Revelation 18 here? Uh, indeed. And uh, we see the, uh, the, the great temptation to, for the church and for Christians, you know, the, the deception, even if possible, of the elect, uh, but the great temptation to acquiesce to uh, the theology of uh, uh, Babylon and the man of lawlessness and uh, the, uh, the evil one who would tempt us right. away from Christ. Right. It, it's a temptation that's, that's always there, uh, the temptation that, that comes from power, both to, to take it and the fear that comes before it. So uh, certainly a message that even if it is uh, in many ways shaped here to deal with these particular times in the early church, one that we relate to ourselves and uh, as we were talking about yesterday, in fact, one that, of course, you could relate to in Reformation times also. Uh, but Enough talking around the text. Let's get into the text as we do so. Would you, brothers, say a prayer for us and for all our listeners and for everybody out there? Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we offer before you our common supplication for the well-being of your church throughout the world, especially during this difficult time of a worldwide pandemic. So guide and govern her by your Holy Spirit that all who profess themselves Christians, may be led into the way of truth, and hold the faith in the unity of the Spirit, in the bond of peace, and in righteousness of life. Preserve us in times of persecution and great testing. Grant us faithfulness. Send down upon all ministers of the gospel and upon the congregations committed to their care the healthful spirit of your grace, that they may please you in all things, bearing witness to Christ and lifting him up that he might draw all people to himself. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. All right. Revelation chapter 18. Let's read the whole thing through once, and then we can circle around and look at some of these little details that we have. Uh, is a little bit different from the chapters that we've seen so far. It's less of a series of uh, visions of images, and it's more, well, I mean, it's like a series of uh, laments and, and woes and such. Um, any any uh, brief comments here uh, before we read the chapter through? Well, I think that uh, 
anytime we read the scriptures, and here in the book of Revelation is certainly uh, no exception to this, uh, understanding the context of vocabulary. So if you're thinking about Babylon, you cannot help but think of the Babylonian Empire, King Nebuchadnezzar, the conquest of Judah, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And this was not simply a uh, another civil power coming against the civil power of Judah and conquering that civil power. But uh, be, behind it all was... Um, an animosity against uh, the Old Testament church and against the faith there. And I, and I think it's important to think about people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were faithful uh, as believers uh, in the land of, of Babylon after the uh, captivity began. And so it, the, there would be a danger to see Babylon as representing any and all civil realms, and that would be a false thing to say. I mean, we're, we're to honor the civil authority, the left-hand kingdom, as well as we have obligations to the spiritual kingdom, the right-hand authority. But rather, uh, right. Babylon represents that, uh, that uh, false teaching and anti-Christian uh, doctrine that uh, comes out of the world and so often threatens the church, and which Christians are tempted to acquiesce to, and churches are attempted to uh, give into as well. Yeah, that's well said. It doesn't uh, equate directly um, with an exact one-to-one onto any particular um, city um, or, or or even region. Um, we saw, uh, talking about our conversation last time, how you could see in a lot of ways how it does strongly correlate with uh, Jerusalem, ironically, um, but particularly in its apostasy, right? It wasn't that every single soul in Jerusalem uh, was aligned in this way. It has more to do with the alignment with the dragon um, than the particular geographical location, let's say. So that's a that's a healthy reminder as we that's hear exactly these, right. uh, as we hear again and again uh, the word Babylon here. So let's go ahead and read through the chapter. Let let the scriptures kind of speak for itself for just a, a minute here. The whole chapter, Revelation chapter eighteen. From the top, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual morality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, Iset is a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth, 
who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses and chariots and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all those whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning, What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who have been slain on earth. Okay, so uh, just, I mean, a lot of uh, different voices, actually, a few different um, angels, but you've also got interesting, you know, the, the merchants uh, speak up in different points. Uh, but again and again, I think you have this refrain of a single hour. It just seems to be this, this really big contrast of you go from uh, great wealth, splendor, power, and just it goes away uh, just like that. That's right. And I think uh, that the, the, the judgment of God against Babylon in this picture that is painted in Revelation 18 is where you see this contrast between, on the one hand, the success of Babylon, the, the right. opulence. And this is the attractive thing for the church, to be tempted by the doctrines of this world, which are um, at enmity with uh, orthodox teaching, with the truth of God's word, with the gospel of Christ. And it, they seem to be, 
they, they promise success. They promise a kind of wealth. They promise a kind of happiness. They promise a kind of pleasure. And so the, right. the, the church is tempted and Christians are tempted to acquiesce to these doctrines, if you will. And then mm -hmm. uh, in the end, however, they are vacuous. And not only they, can they not satisfy, not only do they promise things that they cannot deliver, but because they are at enmity with God, they will fall into ruin and destruction. As this chapter so well indicates, you know, in a single day and the judgment of God uh, comes. And uh, then everything that was promised by the doctrines of Babylon, which were such a temptation to the church and to Christians, uh, are shown to be uh, vacuous and empty. Right. Well, and and not only uh, vacuous and empty, but so full of betrayal, um, even, even to itself, it, it's very interesting the way that Babylon's described. It's it's not merely that it's in no uh, aligned with the dragon, but there's this sense in which it it was more, or it was supposed to be more. It was, it was supposed to be clean. I mean, like it's interesting in, in verse two that we saw there. You know, this mighty angel that comes down. Uh, the description, right? Um, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. There's this idea that she has become unclean to say that she was clean at, at some point in time. I, I mean, this, this is a really interesting angle on, on the Babylon side of things. It, the, what, the, the thing that makes it so terrible is that it didn't have to be this way. It could have been clean. I mean, I think, I think that angle, we want to overlook that. And I think it, it speaks to what you were saying, I think, brother, about the, I mean, the, the corruption, you could say, uh, of doctrine. Well, Lewis Brighton in his commentary makes, makes the comment that uh, you have the church today that has, in so many cases, willingly acquiesced to Babylon, to use the imagery of this chapter, and in so doing has become what you just highlighted from verse 2, uh, has become unclean uh, and has become detestable and so forth. So when we, when we sacrifice uh, our faith, our confession of the truth of God's word and of the gospel of Christ, then we who, who were clean and righteous become unclean and unrighteous by virtue of apostasy. And so I, I really think that's a strong accent, not only in, in this verse two, but throughout chapter 18. Right. No, it's, um, yeah, it, it is something that because it is this potential of becoming um, unclean and becoming aligned with the demons, it, it really is something that should speak to us uh, by way of warning. I mean, this reminds me of uh, Hebrews, right? Where um, the author says, you know, don't be like that generation that was right there about to go into the promised land, right? And, and then they instead have to go and die in the wilderness, right? And that's, and that's an Old Testament image that then gets applied as a, as a word of warning to the church. And so, uh, you know, kind of like we talked about last time, Revelation reads in so many ways, kind of like an extension of the Old Testament. Um, I mean, not that 
anything in the New Testament isn't that in, in many ways. Uh, but in, in this particular way that you have this, this kind of Old Testament judgment that is a warning then for the church. So, you know, even as we see um, how the authorities in Jerusalem became this, right? Um, you think of the high priesthood. I mean, the, the mockery that it devolved into. It was just a, a puppet of the Roman Empire. It was a more a thing about wealth and political gain. Um, you know, you've got like the zealots uh, there right before the temple falls, casting lots to see who gets it. Um, you know, the Herodians were, were more aligned with Rome than they were with the people of, of Judah. Uh, so you see that happening literally, but I mean, that, that tendency, I mean, we, we in the church can go along with the high priests and the, and the Herods of our own day as well. That's right. And, and here in verse three, that type of, um, it's, it's really idolatry, uh, is described in terms of adultery, fornication, you know, the sexual immorality and so forth. It's amazing how, those two things are linked together in the Old Testament and here in the book of Revelation. So to go a whoring after the, the gods of this world and the doctrines of this world and those that, that litany of things that you mentioned that the Old Testament church, because that's really what it was, you know, at the time of Jesus with the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the high council, the, the high priests, the Herodians and so forth, the Sadducees, they had really corrupted themselves as they went a-whoring after uh, the gods of this world and took up their doctrines and so forth. And so that that idolatry was really spiritual adultery and fornication, this sexual immorality that is mentioned here in verse 3. Uh, right, right, exactly. Well, and I think that that just speaks to it uh, even all the more, right? I mean, we talked about this last time how it's, you know, it, would, it wouldn't be sexual immorality uh, for the Roman Empire to just keep on being the Roman Empire. Um, it, it, it was sexual immorality, though, for the people of God to go yoking themselves to these foreign powers and their foreign gods. Um, and, and that's the, the same thing, of course, is the temptation in the church. So, I mean, it, you, you see all this language about this sexually immoral woman, you know, and, you know, the translations use the word whore or uh, prostitute or whatever the case is. And of course, yes, sexual immorality, very bad. I think that's kind of the point of using such a strong metaphor against this, uh, but it is a metaphor for idolatry. And that's the same consistent use that we've seen since uh, the Old Testament, which, which I think then is striking when we get to verse four, where then you get this come out, right? Come out of her, my people. This reads exactly like uh, what we had in Isaiah, like back in Isaiah 48, um, where you had the, the people of God in exile in Babylon, right? Who, many of whom were, were going along with the temptation to uh, commit this sexual immorality of the heart um, and to worship the Babylonian gods. But then you had the message, right, in Isaiah 48, get out of there. It's time to go back um, to the land. So it's very interesting that God then would apply this then to the Christians, say, get out of Babylon, even when Babylon like appears to be Jerusalem, right? I mean, like, I mean, that's, it's a very strange turn of events, but uh, I mean, you can't identify the presence of God with like a particular geographical spot. It's the word. Sure. I, I think f for me, I don't know about you, AJ, but for me, verse four is kind of the point of this particular chapter where we're, we who are 
Christians who are the Church of Christ who are find ourselves in this world where we are tempted to acquiesce to uh, the political correctness and the majority of opinion uh, of the world around us are to come out uh, and be the people of God and to be who we are called to be. Think of, you know, what is not accepted in our world today is right. the exclusive claim of Christianity that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by him, that, that you could believe just about anything you wanted about anything and have any other kind of God or religion or spiritual uh, belief system, as long as it is not Christianity that believes in the incarnation, suffering, and death of the Son of God for sinful humanity is the only source of salvation. I mean, that is the one thing that cannot be tolerated in any way, shape, manner, or form. And then if you think about how um, also, I mean, we're in the minority opinion in terms of, of marriage, um, in right. terms of God's gift of human sexuality, in terms of the sanctity of human life and so forth. But it is awfully in order to be well-liked, in order to be received into the upper echelons of power and the circles and spheres of influence and so forth, uh, the church is tempted, and there's your reference to Jerusalem, you know, to, to, to join Babylon in, right. in her, uh, in her uh, idolatry. So right. uh, come out and be who you are called to be. It's, it's never popular it's never the majority opinion. It's always under assault, but it is nonetheless uh, the truth. Right. The, the truth, regardless of whether the majority will acknowledge it or not. Uh, we'll talk more about this here when we get back from our break. Everybody hang on with us. We're looking at Revelation chapter 18 here on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. <laughs> Hello, I'm Gary Duncan. The COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our routines, vocation, and worship. Recently, you received a mailing about our annual share fundraising event. However, during this unprecedented time, KFUO Radio is postponing our on-air portion of share until June 25th through the 27th. Gifts can still be made through the mail and online, plus those gifts will be matched by this year's matching fund. I know times are tough, but when you are able to bless our ministry, please do so. Opportunities to share the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ increase at times like this. And as a partner, you provide for those in our neighborhoods and around the world to hear the gospel message through KFUO Radio. I pray for you and your safety, and I ask for you to pray for KFUO, our staff, and volunteers during this difficult time. And again, our plans are to move the broadcast dates of our on-air share until June 25th through the 20th. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. LCMS Disaster Response and Training provides guidance and counsel to congregations seeking to show mercy to their neighbors before, during, and after disasters. From congregation preparedness to equipping volunteers in our Lutheran Early Response Team training, we can help you engage your community, particularly those who are suffering in any way with the love of Christ. 
For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org forward slash disaster. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Revelation chapter 18 today, uh, talking about this, I mean, it's really the series of laments and, and mourning and woes, and it's all about the fall of Babylon. And, and as we just said, really, uh, the message for us then as Christians is to come out, get out of Babylon. Don't be a part of that. Don't join her in her sins or her plagues. And so uh, just talking about that here a little bit ago, we're joined today by Pastor Peter Bender, pastor at Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. I want to make sure to invite all of our live listeners. If you've got a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Also want to make sure not to neglect to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support. They're at lhfmissions.org. So, uh, yes, we were just looking here at at verse 4 here, uh, this, this come out of her, my people, and, and we were just saying how, you know, historically, and, and the ESV is helpful here. You actually just have it on the footnote, um, pointing us back to Isaiah 48. It did have historically, um, I mean, that's basically what God spoke to his people to, to come out of the exile, to return back to, to Jerusalem uh, from Babylon. That is what well, we talked about this a little bit here in Revelation. That seems to be what happened to the Christian community, that they, God got them out of it before everything went down in Jerusalem. They actually physically went away um, to a pl- place called Pella, among other places, um, to get out of Jerusalem. Um, so interesting, then, when we apply that to ourselves, I mean, you, you think to yourself, you, you know, would we actually physically move and, and change locations um, if this were to happen? And I mean, historically, it, it has happened even since then. Like, I think of this, the founding of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, I mean, seems to be basically what they did. Yeah, I think that uh, this, uh, the response of those who want to be faithful, uh, when they see the corruption of Babylon, you know, entering into the church, is sometimes a a bit of a hand-wringing, you know, Lord, how long? Have you forgotten? Are you not going to do anything about this? I mean, I'm reminded of Habakkuk, who was so distraught over how Jerusalem had been defiled and infected by false uh, belief and, and false practices in her liturgy at the temple and so forth, and and the impenitence of, of the people, and calls upon the Lord to do something, and then and then the Lord says, well, I will, and your ears are going to tingle, and you're not going to believe it. I'm going to raise up Babylon to visit judgment upon you. And you, you sort of, if I can uh, paraphrase uh, Habakkuk's response, it was sort of like, that's not exactly what I had in mind. But but uh, that's what God did. And then, you know, hold that promise of to Abraham on a placard, you know, in your seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and, and that the just shall live by faith in the promise of God. And so uh, in verse 5, you know, 
her sins are heaped as high as heavens. And God has remembered her iniquities, the iniquities of Babylon. Uh, it may seem as if he's not paying attention, but he is paying attention. And, um, you know, you think of the Isaiah 40 passage in verse 6, where uh, comfort, comfort my people, you know, for she has received right. from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's that's double mercy and forgiveness and compassion from the Lord who has made atonement for her sin. And this is the reverse of it, isn't it, in verse 6? Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double right. portion for her. So that's it's the opposite of the, of the forgiveness, life, and salvation that was celebrated in Isaiah 40, uh, for God's people, for those whom he had brought to repentance and faith. Here's the opposite for the impenitence, for uh, the wicked, for those of Babylon who, in whom there is no repentance and there is no faith. Right, yeah, this is more like a you reap what you sow kind of idea. She's receiving, right? right? I mean, what her, her just desserts here. And, and, um, and This is and what you what asked for. This is what you asked for, that's right. Because, you know, it's interesting, right? Uh, and that's that's well well put there. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, right? That's right. So this is what this is what you were mixing to give others. Well, how about you have a taste of your own medicine, and uh, and you got to ask. Okay, so well, hang on. What is what exactly is it that that she did to be receiving this in kind, right? Because okay, so we know that she's been committing adultery, um, that she's been allowing all this uncleanness uh, to become part of um, her and what she has going on, um, but. And, and this is, I, I think, what we're, we'll see as we get a little bit um, moving forward, right? In verse seven, um, you know, give her a like measure of torment and mourning. It it corresponds with the, I guess, the opulence that she's been living with, right? I mean, this reminds me of the uh, the story our Lord told of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Where you know, yeah. uh, there's this idea like, well, you know, you had the nice things in life. And now Lazarus is going to get them and you are going to get your just desserts. So it, it's not just that the, there's the, not just, I mean, like, of course, that's really kind of the main thing, uh, but not just the adultery, but that she was committing this spiritual adultery and this idolatry so that in some ways she could be living well, there's a life pride. of luxury. Yeah, there's a, there's a, she glorified herself. There's a pride and an arrogance over against the Lord. There is no right. humility of contrition and repentance whatsoever. There is an exaltation of self and what one wants, what one desires, what one thinks, and so forth. And uh, so this comes back. She glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning because she used right. her self-exalting to oppress others. And your mention of the rich man Lazarus is a great counterpart in the New Testament because even from hell, you've got the rich man ordering Lazarus around from the yeah, grave. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's a stunning example of that type of uh, hard-hearted arrogance. Right. No, and, and that's what you, what that's what you saw. Um, you know, literally at, at the time that. I mean the the high priesthood. I mean it was uh, it was a great position to be in because of the political power that it earned you, right? It was a good Absolutely. place to be if you were in Herod's palace, right? I mean think of uh, you know think of what our Lord said, right, when he was comparing and contrasting John the Baptist with Herod, right? And, and he asked the crowd like, "Who'd you want to see? Uh, a man in fine clothing? Well, behold, those are in king's palaces, right? Um, right. Whereas the the guy that you know uh, that you all were were amazed by and that who spoke powerfully, John the Baptist. You know, he's uh, 
you know, dressed in camel's hair and he's now rotting in a prison right now. Sure. Uh, and I mean, Matthew I mean, makes, yeah. Matthew makes the comment in his passion account that Pilate knew that they had delivered Jesus to him because of envy. Yeah. You know, they, they, they feared the loss of that power and position to Jesus, whose popularity and affection in the, in the eyes of the common people, the sinners whom he ministered to and gave them the hope of salvation, was uh, far surpassing uh, their their own position, and they they coveted that to have it to have it back and not to have it be taken from them. That's right. Whether it's um, you know in terms of material wealth, or I mean, as it, I mean, the, the two are usually hand in hand, or influence, right? Popularity. Um, I mean, I mean, these are the things that we seek as is a part of the spiritual idolatry, right? And so that's something that we got to be aware of. And I think actually putting this in the historical context helps us. Because you, we might say to ourselves, like, well, I'm not bowing down to any, you know, Babylonian or you know, Roman idols. Like, I don't, I don't have a statue of Zeus in my living room, right? So we, right, we right. might be tempted to say, like, well, this isn't me, right? Like, I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm not going to ab- abide by false doctrine. Like, well, okay, you say that. But, I mean, how often do we actually commit this idolatry of the heart? Because, well, we want to have influence, you know, and we want to be invited to the table, um, and we want to make sure that we have a voice and that our voice is heard. And, you know, we have lots of, you know, nice sounding ways of putting it. But like, think about all the compromises we make because we basically right. want more money and want more people to like us. That's right. The, the, the temptation to compromise, to acquiesce, and then it, it comes off then as a veneer of churchmanship and wisdom yeah sure you know you have and and then you're you're well liked and you're embraced by others because you can see it from other points of view and Mm -hmm. uh and and so the the clear confession you know thus says the lord and i i can't i can't go there you know with all due respect to you i can't go in the direction that you want uh, that you want the church to go, that you want this doctrine to go. I mean, you think of it in terms of our communion practice and so forth. You can think of it right. in terms of of marriage and family issues and so forth. And there are certain things that are absolutely sacred, but in in the wisdom of the world or the wisdom of Babylon, boy, there's a strong pull to give in and to yield and to compromise so that we are accepted by the world so that we maintain our position of you know power whatever that right. might happen to be depending on our context right well and what's ironic about the acceptance of the world as you were just putting it right is that it might feel nice in the short term and we we feel taken care of and supported but I mean, that's really all an illusion. The only interest that the world has is making money off of us, basically. And I, and I think that that's, a, that's an important point for us to understand more in our present context in uh, you know, 21st century America. Um, but also, I mean, it just comes clear here in verse 9. You know, the kings of the earth, right, and, uh, and the merchants, uh, wh- what, do they, what do they say, right? Uh, it, it's actually, yeah, so if they're in, in 11, right? Um, what, what are they wailing about, right? Are they like, oh, Babylon, we loved you so much, you know? Well, no, they're saying, this is so sad because now we're not going to make money anymore. <laughs> we can't go on selling them all this ivory and wood and bronze and iron and marble and cloth and silk and all the rest, right? I, they're, we can't sell all this stuff anymore. I mean, that Babylon is accepted and um, seemingly doted upon, right? But 
I mean, it's just people using her at the end of the day. And, and, and it's the same situation with us when we make these compromises for, for money or for popularity or influence or whatever it is. I mean, all that we're really getting is people who are also trying to use us for their own ends. It's not real love. It's not genuine acceptance. You know, and that's the irony. We talk about tolerance and acceptance and it's like, that's right. They're only accepting you as long as you're profitable. Right. It's a, it's a total ruse, isn't it? Um, yeah. And in, in, in the end, these verses that you were just going through, you know, in the end, it all comes crashing down. Uh, that which, that, that which Babylon looked to as her God, her greatest good, what she trusted in and placed her confidence in, finally came crashing down. None of it could really deliver what she believed and hoped that it could. And in the end, she is left uh, destitute. Right. Well, and, and I think also um, in, in the context, I think, I think, what was it in the previous chapter? Um, naked is, is the word that's used, right? They will make her, as is verse 16 of the previous chapter, right? They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with right. fire. So uh, that, that's the contrast, right, uh, with, with these uh, expensive materials and expensive cloth. And we talked about last time the combination of scarlet and purple that strongly recalls the high priestly garments um, and all the beauty and splendor of the temple, right? Like after, after this comes by, there's no more temple. Uh, there's just a bunch of ruins and you never get that temple back. Um, you don't get the high priesthood back. The last high priest dies with the temple in AD 70. That's it. Uh, pretend yeah. with this mirage anymore that gets judged um, as the whole thing comes crashing down. Yeah, and this is where I think that um, going back to Daniel uh, and what he and his colleagues experienced at the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple the first time becomes then really catechetical uh, and pastorally instructive for us. You know, I mean, yeah. who had who had the real peace in the face of uh, the doctrines of Babylon to which they were tempted to acquiesce. It, it was not those who were trying to get Daniel or were trying to get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rather, it was those who remained faithful. And I, I love that line in Daniel where the three men say, you know, our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not yeah. going to bow down to you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, it's a great example of what it is to be a Christian in this world as a pilgrim uh, on our way to the promised land. Uh, those men there in Babylon still uh, lived faithfully in this world for the sake of the neighbor, doing everything they could as conscience would allow uh, to right. serve their king, to serve their government, but they absolutely would not cross that line to compromise their faith in the Lord, but they remain faithful to him. And I think too, AJ, when you think about Daniel every day, even though the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed every day, three times a day, he got up yep. and he opened his window and he faced east and he said his prayers. What a, what a, great, yep. what a great example for us. And this is where our 
true peace and contentment comes from. And it's not, it's not that we don't feel pain, we do, or suffer, oh, yeah. we will, or uh, have hurt, we will. But, but there's a, a deeper peace that, as Paul says, transcends all human understanding. And it's that peace of being right with God, that peace of knowing our sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. And the world may hate us, but we are beloved by Christ. I, I love this line of Luther where he says, I should rather, uh, I should rather fall with Christ than stand with the highest powers on earth. What a great testament. Amen. Yeah, and that that passage from from Daniel Peter that's that's one of my favorites too. It's part of the reasons why I love uh, the Easter Vigil. You have that story read, and right. I mean it, it is such a great moment. You know, it, it does feel like a like, kind of like a Luther Re- Re- Reformation moment. It feels like uh, like our our Lord, of course, like as he is in Gethsemane and before the high priest and before Pilate. I mean, it's it's like the it's like the apostles as they faced even martyrdom, right? I mean, it's you're you're encouraged and inspired by this faith that's not that's not in it for a reward, right? It's not just like okay, well, I'll go along with this as long as it's profitable, you know. It it, it yeah. testifies to the what we we're talking about, right? The love of God, which is acceptance, true acceptance for us. That's not just based on like, can he make money off of us or can he get some kind of benefit out of us? And that kind of love, that, that, that is the most powerful kind, that's the most powerful thing there is. I mean, and, and that's the thing that is so alien to the world, that this love that isn't contingent on getting something. You know, it's, 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 the, it's the lesson I think that is partly there in Job too, right? The, the whole idea like, you know, can can this man actually love God, even if he takes, if, even if God takes everything away? You know, and and it's ultimately only in, in Christ that you really see the full expression of that love. But I mean, even in those Old Testament images, you know, like in like in Job, or especially with Daniel and his friends, you know, like we, we see glimpses of it, uh, where these moments where God lets us uh, reflect a little bit of Christ's love. And what a what a lovely paradox that is in Daniel, where they were the ones who were truly free. Even though they were being oppressed, they were the ones who were truly free. Uh, Though cast into the fiery furnace or Daniel in the lion's den, they were free. And then those who seemed to be free were the ones who were really uh, in bondage. And so it's just such a a great... um, example for us and like that's why i called it catechetical and and pastoral in nature and and when we think about our brothers and sisters at the time of the destruction of the temple in 70 a.d and how christians were caught up uh, in all of that i i just have to believe that uh, the pattern and example and witness of uh, the prophet daniel uh, in the earlier time had to have been a source of comfort and strength for them to remain faithful at those times. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I think, I mean, so that actually kind of brings us back to, you know, part of the purpose of Revelation. We talked about this last time that the, the traditional interpretation of Revelation is that this was something that, that John wrote. I mean, of course, it's a vision, like actual you know, series of visions that he received from Christ. Um, but so it, it's a message from Christ through John to give comfort to the church as it was suffering under Domitian, Titus's younger right. brother. And there they were suffering persecution, persecution that would have been felt acutely in Asia Minor, 
right? Not far away at all from, from Rome and the influence of Rome. I mean, we got to remember, I mean, th this, this whole thing, e even as it's a series of visions is, is a letter to these seven churches. That's right. And, right. In, and in that traditional interpretation, right? So, okay. How, how is this supposed to comfort them? Right. And, and when we look at more recent um, innovations in revelation, you know, where it's trying to like predict some, you know, crazy future events of, you know, Russia or, or who knows what. Um, I don't see how that can comfort them. Um, I mean, it's, it's like, what? Hang right. This makes no sense at all. But if, if this is a, a, a way of looking back at the past, like the way that Daniel, uh, like, you know, lo looks back and says, you know, hey, look, like, look, look at this stuff, right? I, I mean, like, so that, that's something that's encouraging because you see, hey, God, God gave them the faith, right, to see this stuff through. I mean, God gave them the faith that's and right. he protected them. And I mean, this is an inspiring message for us when we think about how he protected even his people from the destruction that, that overwhelmed Judea and Jerusalem. That's right. So you're not old enough to remember uh, Hal Lindsey and the uh, late great planet Earth, and there's a new world coming that uh, spoke about those very things that yeah. you were uh, taught, those fantastic future predictions. And the thing I, I remember reading uh, those books uh, as a high schooler and, yeah. and thinking to myself, where is Jesus? <laughs> where right. is my Lord and Savior? Where is the centrality of his suffering and death and resurrection is the source of comfort. And, and it really wasn't to be found, but it certainly is here. I mean, the presence of the lamb yeah. throughout the book of Revelation and the worship of the lamb who was slain. I mean, that's, that's, yeah. that's the constant uh, reminder of how our comfort comes from, as Paul would say, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's the resurrected one. He who was crucified right. is the living one. I think when you interpret this rightly, I just I just feel like there's so many allusions back to the words of Christ himself. And we already talked about, you know, um, our, our Lord's teaching with the rich man and Lazarus, but in like in verse 20, right? Rejoice over her, right? I mean, think about it. rejoice, yeah. rejoice over Babylon fallen, right? Be so be happy. I mean, seriously, celebrate this and thank God in the midst of Jerusalem being destroyed. Um, you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Yeah. I mean, this this is like the parable of the persistent widow. You know, God will not delay to give justice to his people. And sure enough, this all happened less than 40 years after our Lord spoke those words, you know, and, yeah. and, and there is, is this, then the, the, the millstone sure. too. Is this, is this not the Beatitudes, you know, rejoice and be yeah. exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets. Uh, who were before you. So I, I absolutely, seeing, seeing the, the language of Jesus uh, in the Gospels that is interleafed throughout uh, Revelation is really, uh, really important in my view. Well, and I think that you got that um, there with the, with the millstone, right? You know, our Lord's teaching That's right. that for whoever leads one of these little ones astray, it'd be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea. That's what's happening to Babylon. Um, and, and there, in, in the last verse, right, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints, right? I, right? I mean, isn't that the condemnation our Lord levels at the Jerusalem authorities? You know, you've got the blood of the prophets on your hands. And yeah, there's, is, yeah, go ahead. There's nothing, there's nothing in the doctrine of Babylon, in the idolatry and adultery of Babylon, that's 
that's redeemable. You know, our, our Lord redeems the sinner, but he, he doesn't redeem the sin. He doesn't sanction the sin. Right. Uh, so you can't, what fellowship does light have with darkness? I mean, so it, it is a complete and absolute judgment against that which is completely and diametrically opposed to the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no fellowship that light has with darkness uh, whatsoever. And that's clearly made clear here. Right. Well, I mean, it sounds a lot, you know, the the light of the lamp will shine in you no more, right? You think back to everything, like you were just saying, you know, what fellowship does the light have with the darkness? Um, you get that teaching in Paul and in our Lord's own teaching that, you know, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then that discussion of the, the light and the darkness that you see in John, I think that's a strong Gospel of John connection there. Right. Just with, with, with all this stuff here, it's like, as you said, you know, there was this time of mercy that our Lord was announcing, calling all people, drawing, him, uh, drawing them to himself that you saw in Pentecost in a strong way as the Jerusalem church was being gathered, but uh, no, no more, right? Like it couldn't go on anymore. God was not going to allow his, his prophets um, to allow his, his uh, bishops to continue to be murdered, right? I mean, James the Just, just before all this, right, was, was, was murdered by the high priest again. Right. The, right, the same guy um, whose whose father um, sentenced the Lord Jesus to be executed, and at that point, God's like, "Okay, no more. I've 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 drawn lots of people here. Uh, I think as many who are going to repent have repented, and so no more Jerusalem. You don't get to just keep killing the church." That's right. So I think I mean, we should is, pray for comfort. persecuted. <laughs> I think yes. we should pray for persecuted Christians. You know. Uh, tempted by the city of Babylon as, as we all are, but. Amen. And, and, and also then rejoice that God does not allow this to go on indefinitely. He does vindicate his people. Um, and that's, that's a message of great comfort as, as our Lord himself spoke. So thank you so much, brother. It's really great to to hear your voice and to have you on again. God bless the rest of your Eastertide and uh, your ministry and witness as we were talking about earlier. Thanks. Lord be with you, AJ. Thank you, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Peter Bender, pastor at Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin. Moving on to Revelation chapter 19. This is a great chapter of the White Rider. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.